0: Welcome to episode 80 of EIU Panthers Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. This week, we visit with former Eastern Illinois men's basketball player Tyler Laser. Laser played for the Panthers during the late 2000s and then overcame some miraculous odds to go on and have a successful professional career playing in Europe. This week, we talk to Laser about some of his experiences, which during part of his career took him to Eastern Europe, along with his current life plan and how that evolved. We are in our second season of EIU Panthers Podcast, and you can listen to any of our previous episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio Podcast by searching for EIU Panthers Podcast. We recently were added to Amazon Podcast and Audible, so you can now just ask Alexa to play EIU Panthers Podcast. Consolidated Communications is a proud sponsor of EIU Athletics. Want to learn more about the future of broadband for your home or business? visit consolidated.com today. Another successful week of awards for EIU track and field as the Panthers, Sean Hopkins and Ramsey Hunt swept the OVC male track and field athlete of the week awards. Congratulations to Zane Robbins on setting the EIU single season record with his 11th save as EIU baseball picked up a midweek win. This weekend, EIU men's tennis and women's beach volleyball head to the Ohio Valley Conference Championships, while baseball, softball, and track are all on the road. You can stay up to date on all things EIU athletics related by visiting us online at EIUPanthers.com or follow us on Twitter at EIU underscore Panthers. Now to this week's episode of EIU Panthers Podcast with former men's basketball player Tyler Laser. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers Podcast. We're joined today by former EIU men's basketball player Tyler Laser, And I appreciate Tyler joining me. And if you guys knew the, the hurdles the two of us jumped over over the last couple of weeks trying to connect on, on his busy schedule, um, you understand how appreciative I am that he was able to make some time for. It. So, Tyler, welcome to the program.
1: Yeah, happy to be here, Rich. I'm happy to see your face. Happy to uh, be around Eastern Illinois again. So, thanks for having me
0: how we when we record these we, we record them through the magic of zoom but we just drew the audio and if tyler said he's able to we're able to see each other if i could describe tyler i kind of joked with him a little bit he's kind of got the lumberjack look going now which is not the look anybody's going to remember him playing on the the hardwood and lance having he, he's kind of got the the full i don't even know the west lumberjack is the best term i can come up with and i don't even know if that's the right term for it
1: <laughs> yes i i've got a manly beard going on right now so um, so, somebody once told me uh, when I had a baby face they said you know there's only two type of people that don't have beards women and children and (laughs) and you aren't either so you should grow a beard.
0: I'm going to guess that you may have heard that Um, when you were overseas playing basketball and that's one of the things we're going to talk about today in addition to catching up um, to what you've got going on since then but but Tyler played here back in the the late 2000s and I think about 2010 2011 was his last year then went over and played basketball professionally overseas for about 10 years and try to make you backtrack a little bit Tyler that in and of itself is I don't want to say a miracle but you kind of a blessing is the way your career ended here at Eastern you had some back issues to where you may have not let alone play basketball but may have never walked again
1: yeah I had two herniated discs in my lower back. Um, the doctor said, I mean, I don't know one herniated disc from another, but the doctor said that they were major discs. Um, I essentially had, the, they essentially went in and cut my discs off. So in my, in my lower back, I, I don't really have much of, of any disc and it's in like that uh, pivotal area, you know, where my hips turn and my back bends and and they were thinking that they might have to, you know, fuse my spine, and they, you know, the doctor said, "Oh, you're never, you're never playing basketball again," you know, and that was just totally crushing to me. Yeah. Um, uh, Scott Wilson is a is a is a guy that's associated with EIU, and he he was a uh, became a kind of a father figure to me, and uh, their family adopted me essentially, and he was with me. Uh, when I was with the doctors, and I just cried like a little baby. Um, My whole dream was to be a basketball player. And uh, my whole life growing up, they're like, well, what's your backup plan? And I was like, I don't have a backup plan. I don't need a backup plan. I'm going to do this. And so that was just crushing to me. And so uh, honestly, by the grace of God, i was able to come back, and honestly, I was faster and quicker and more athletic than I was before the injury.
0: Now you were always a uh, uh, as a guard, a shooting guard, but you handled the ball a little bit as well. But always had a played with maybe a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, and I think that was maybe one of the things that that carried you that that fiery that competitiveness. When you had to go through this and you start the long rehab process. You talked about maybe you were a little bit quicker. Did it it change your mindset of maybe how you approach the game a little bit? Um, well, I don't know if
1: it changed the way I approached the game. I mean, it definitely changed just my my outlook on life in general. I mean, look when you're when you're growing up, nobody thinks that you're going to play Division One basketball. Nobody thinks you'll play professionally. So you know, you go through all that junk about people saying you're not going to do this so you know just with with those past experiences you know when the doctor said you're not going to play basketball I was just like well I'm not going to believe that and so I just gave it my best effort you know in trying to come back um and at that time too I was trying to get a red shirt uh, you know trying to go through that process of getting a red shirt so I couldn't really dive into like looking at agents and so on uh, because you just can't do that yet and and so you know I just approached it with the same mentality I approach everything is I'll just give it everything I have and um, you know hope for the best.
0: Now for you, it, it, it did work out. You were able to kind of go through that process. You talked about the red shirt year. you, you were in those that gray area, maybe the rules have changed, and uh, the NCAA they' are being crucified, you know, publicly right now, and we don't need to do that on this program. But you played, I think, 12 games, so you were maybe like one over the allotted number or something like that. I mean, we're talking a minute number. When you do find out, you're not going to get the red shirt. Is that change quickly then how do you have to um, do the process you're talking about you you quickly try to find an agent how, how does that process work to then try to pivot to that pro basketball opportunity
1: yeah yeah um, i I, I want to say this just because I think this is an interesting bit of information I was one game over off uh, I was one game over getting the automatic medical red shirt okay i i i can't remember if i played in 10 or 11 games and the the, the cutoff was like nine or 10 games but i was one game over and i was misdiagnosed um and we had records showing that i was being diagnosed with hamstring injuries and stuff because my back was just killing me i had sharp pains down my left leg because of my sciatic nerve and so we had records showing that we had been being treated with this hamstring injury and it finally got to the point, my dad came to a game. I think we played ball state was like my last game. And I could not stand up. I mean, I, I just, I was hunched over. I was like at a 90 degree, my back was bent over. And my dad said, this is ridiculous. We're getting an, an MRI. Because I, I wouldn't get an MRI. Like the, uh, the trainers at the time, who I still, I'm very fond of the trainer at the time, but he was young. And he just didn't, wouldn't schedule me an MRI for one reason or another. And so I finally got that MRI and they said, geez, you've got two major discs. And the most important uh, bit of information about this was, I think the year before, uh, a guard named Eric uh, Eric Diemendorf out of Syracuse tore his ACL like two games over the automatic redshirt. And he got a redshirt. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was obvious bias, you know, and favoritism towards these bigger schools that, you know, I had a pre-existing condition, misdiagnosed, and then went one game over, didn't get the richer. A guy tore his ACL like two games after and gets a richer. I mean, it was just super frustrating. Yeah. But anyways, uh how I went about getting an agent is the summer before my senior year, I played with this team. We went over to Europe and played a number of games. Um, and we are coached by a guy named Jay Wright, who was uh, Illinois' assistant coach. And we had different Big Ten members uh, on that team. Uh, Brandon Paul from Illinois was on the team and Tyler Griffey uh, from Illinois. Then we had um, DJ Bird from Purdue. We had all these different guys, 10 guys or so. Uh, and we went over there and um, I played well. I, uh Coach Wright said, this is his, his words, not mine. He said I was the best player on the team and um, uh, I was versatile and all this, whatever. And so he, I think Coach Miller uh, got a hold of Jay Wright when I was trying to get an agent because it's it's not like agents were knocking down my door at that point. I had missed my whole senior year. Um, and so he kind of called the guy and that guy more or less did me a favor, got me my first job uh, in Sweden. And then from there uh, I got hooked up with a Greek agent and, and was with him for a few years. So that's kind of how I got started.
0: Okay. Then you talked about, you, you got your first opportunity there in Sweden and, you played in several different places over there, and that was one of the, the reasons I kind of wanted to connect with you. I couldn't remember all of them, but I, I think that if I'm not mistaken, I, you've played in some of the areas that are unfortunately making national news nowadays in Russia, in that in that Baltic state area. If I, I think I have that correct, and I'm I'm curious kind of what that experience was like if if when you played the, had those opportunities.
1: Yeah, a lot of my career was in Eastern Europe. Uh, I played uh, like a couple of years in Bulgaria, a couple of years in Romania, you know, a little bit in Greece, a little bit in Cy- a few years in Cyprus. Um, you know, Romania is really preparing themselves for a possible interaction with Russia and so on. But, you know, something you got to think about with Eastern Europe, I mean, they were communists for years and years and years and then got freedom like in the 80s and so on. And there is a, uh, a social effect from that sort of uh, governance. I mean, human human behavior uh, is shaped by figures o- over them. You know, so uh, I am not a fan of <laughs> communism. I'm not a fan of socialism. I think it destroys the human character, and and you see the 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 proof of that within the economy of a country because people are just not skilled. You know they're not educated. Uh, they they've lived off the government for years and years and years. So, um, you know, I remember in Romania, I think the uh, the average monthly salary was something around five hundred dollars a month. Oh wow, is what they lived on. I mean, bread is like fifteen cents. I mean, it, they have to live on their own currency because they can never afford to survive off the the uh, the um, the European currency. And so, uh, you know, you're living like a king over there when you're, when, when you're living, but uh, the, I mean, it's evident the, the economic, socioeconomic uh, environment, it's evident, you know, buildings are kind of crumbling. They have no money for infrastructure and people are just you know, don't know what to do with themselves. They don't have skills, they don't have education and there's no opportunities there because people aren't investing in those countries. Uh, the governments are unreliable. So uh, living there really opened my eyes to the world and, uh, and made me pay attention to different things people are struggling with on an everyday basis that we have no idea about in America. You know, people trying to act like America has problems. It's like, I, I feel insulted when people try and talk about some of their problems when they have you know their household has two cars and washer and dryer and microwaves and cell phones and and i'm like okay go to bulgaria where there's a dirty river that flows in the middle of some person's little tin hut you know you got seven-year-olds being you know out for prostitution and they have a seven-year-old pimp who's heavily tatted tatted and smoking cigarettes and beating the little seven-year-old girls if she's not bringing home the quota for the day you know let's let's talk about that Um,
0: so that is eye-opening by any means so not to be a a downer here i didn't mean to take you down that road but i know that was a a, an eye-opening experience for yourself for people that may not understand how that works um on the teams, the European, you're playing on European teams. I'm assuming these are kind of opened by either cities or, or corporations, but it's, there. Are, there's a quota on how many foreigners they can have. And I guess Americans are what are considered foreigners. How, how is that kind of set up there?
1: Yeah, each country has its own bit of rules. Uh, um, so like, uh, let's think like, like Romania, for instance, they have a rule where you have to play uh, at least one Romanian on the floor at all times. Okay. So that, of course, makes Romanians extremely valuable. So you'll have these Romanian players that get like big salaries and have no game, you know, because you know, just supply and demand. So, so then you know the 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 team has only X amount of Americans they can they can have because you can only play four at a time you know maybe you'll have a sub for each position I'm not sure uh, I think Germany when I was in Germany they had a, a rule with how many you could have on a team so like Romania you could have as many Americans as you wanted but only x amount could suit up so maybe sometimes you had a couple Americans that didn't even dress for the game but in Germany uh, you could only have six Americans on a team or six foreigners or something you know so uh, I think when I was in Germany, I was the only American, but we had Serbs and we had uh, Croatians and people from all over Europe, and it kind of depends on what the coaches, what the coach likes, you know, because there's obviously a totally different style of play between Americans and Europeans.
0: Now, did you find that Did you feel like um, and I don't think people that watch American basketball even necessarily know that that there are some subtle differences in the rules of how the game is played internationally and then how it's played um, in America, you having played in college and if they watch the NBA that looks like an entirely different game did the styles a lot of times dictated by whether you had an American coach or maybe a, a European coach.
1: Absolutely. Well, you didn't see very many American coaches. Uh, David Blatt's over there uh, still, and I, I don't know if you consider him American or not. He's actually, I think, Israeli, but I think he grew up in America. But different, like if you had a Serbian coach, or if you had a Russian coach, or a German coach, they had totally different styles. Uh, each each country kind of has a basketball culture. So you know, when you had a Serbian coach, you knew you were getting a Bob Knight kind of coach. And they were going to run you ragged in practice. They were going to cuss you out, call you every name in the book, (laughs) but you would win, you know? And so, uh, you know, everything had its pros and cons, but um, yeah, you definitely, you know, there were stereotypical mannerisms and demeanors uh, with different countries for sure.
0: Now, when you were over there, I I, know you moved around to a a couple different countries and we talked a little bit, we caught up a little bit before we started the the podcast here. You're now since married with with a family and you kind of joked you're living in Kalamazoo, Michigan now and your deal with your wife is that she got to pick where you lived in the United States because she was nice enough to follow you overseas. How many of those countries that you were in, did she follow you to? Was that something where when you... You guys were dating and first married before you started your family. She went, and then maybe when the kids were born, they she didn't follow as much. So
1: uh, we started dating my third year overseas. I was in Cyprus, and uh, we started dating right before I left. I I flew her out twice during the season, and she cooked, and totally, I totally got infatuated with her after. <laughs> She could. Well, she, you know, the, the way to a man's heart is definitely through his belly. And she, she just won me over and she, she was kind of um, got, you know, infatuated with the lifestyle over there. You know, you're in these exotic lands and she, she loved that. So we got married like immediately. We, we were married nine months within starting to date. We got started date. We were married nine months later. And so she came over with me. Uh, in Bulgaria it was the first year and then she came with me every year uh, I played when we were married we had uh, our our kids in Europe um, one of my sons was born in our living room uh, in Romania which was totally illegal it's, okay. it's illegal to have home births in Romania but uh, if you look at look at their hospitals you're not gonna you yeah. don't want to have kids <laughs> in there Um, So we uh, snuck in a a midwife and had our our second son in in our living room. And really, it was when my kids were getting older and started uh, recognizing that they were gone for 10 months and missed grandmas and missed grandpas and cousins. It it really started to weigh on me, and uh, I think through that, I started to realized that I need to start looking for a career, you know, the, the next half of my working life. And, um, and so once I started getting my master's really basketball, I just started falling out of love with it. I, my new interest went into psychology and, and so after seven years, my wife traveled with me for seven years and that was enough.
0: I was going to ask that you kind of segued into one of the things I want to talk about, but I was going to kind of ask you there as a guy who plays basketball his whole life and is driven from that. When do you kind of know that that it's time to give it up? And it sounds like for you it was it was family, I don't want to say pressure, but made you step back and look at, you know, you talked about how basketball was a bigger pitcher when you started, and then family became the bigger pitcher there near the end.
1: Yeah. Um I wouldn't say that the family pressure isn't what made me move on. Um, I just, I was just getting at a time in my life where I was getting other interests. Um, When you lose the love for the grind, that's, you know, you just can't go anymore. And, and that's what happened to me. I was, I was losing the love for the grind. Um, I was just getting into different things. Uh, uh, I'm really into religion. I'm really into politics uh, I'm, I'm really into economics, and that stuff pushed me into uh, psychology and just I just started to recognize that this, this basketball world is just not for me anymore. Um, uh, so it was just time. It was just time to move on. Uh, which is you know, when I talk to people about that, they, they can't believe it because I ate, slept, drank basketball that's all I was was basketball 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 it's all I ever cared about and it was I, I won't say it was a light switch but it almost seemed like it was a light switch that turned and I was just I was into something else
0: now you mentioned there that you kind of have an interest or a, a psychology kind of became an interest through through a couple different things avenues there and I know you're now pursuing a master's and trying to finish that up here in the, in the near future in psychology, kind of trying to be a, a mental health counselor, which is an area where we talked about before we started Is, is that's an area that's really in high demand now. And is that something that you're seeing? Is that something that kind of drove you to that? Or was there an interest in that all along?
1: Well, I, I, I thought that I would, I got my bachelor's in psychology. I knew that I, I leaned more towards that profession. And, uh, if, if I would have got my red shirt, I would have pursued that at Eastern Illinois for my master's because I would have had to start my master's degree at that point for my fifth year. And so I, I always had an interest in that, but like living in Europe for 10 years, um, really just changed the way I I thought about so many things. I mean, it was, I, I remember the first year when I was in Sweden, uh, A janitor was like, I I would always stay after or come early to practice and shoot. And you just kind of get to know people that work in the arenas and stuff. And uh, even at EIU, I was friends with all the janitors, you know, in high school, I was that way. And and he was taught, the janitor in in Sweden was talking to me about politics. And I didn't have a clue about anything. And then I felt kind of embarrassed that I didn't know and so I started to kind of get involved a little bit. My wife was a um, she was a social worker before we got married, and she kind of would talk to me about politics um, a little bit and try and tell me, "Oh, what's a what's a Democrat? What's a Republican? What do they believe in?" You know, and and then just being uh, a Bible reader, uh, you know, Jesus established a a, a government. It says in Isaiah, the government will be on his shoulders and it will reign forever. And and so I I kind of said, okay, you know, there's there's standards within his government in his kingdom, and you know, there's expectations and uh, and so then when you just observe the world, uh, when you're in Bulgaria, when you're in Romania, when you're in Germany, uh, you see that different countries have general behaviors and mannerisms, and and you say, well, what motivates those things, you know, and, and there's different motivations, you know, people behave the way they do for a reason. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't help but reflect on the way I behaved on the court. You know, I, I was kind of an angry player, you know, I was frustrated a lot and I kind of felt, well, what am I angry about? You know, uh, and, and all those things kind of made me self-reflect. And, uh, I, I just wish I knew what i know now because i would have been able to regulate my anxiety a little better i would have been able to regulate frustration and fear and i would have performed so much better and um so yeah all those things just steered me into a a psychological profession i think
0: interesting um another side note that this will be something that people may know may know may not know Um, side note here for Tyler is that his sister-in-law is a pretty famous basketball player from Eastern Illinois. His, I want to say, I can't remember if older or younger brother, but Tyler's brother um, is married to to Takenya Nixon, who of course played basketball here at Eastern Illinois, the Panthers all-time career leading scorer. So I'm sure you guys get together every once in a while. Is there ever any I don't know if your wife played basketball or not. Is there any little two on two basketball to Kenya and her, her, your brother against you and your wife? Oh, my wife doesn't have a a speck of
1: athletic ability in her body. We would get smacked. (laughs) Um, Look, we, everybody in the family bows, you know, we know that Kenya is the best basketball player in the family. That's undisputed. So, uh, you know, I know what fights to pick and whatnot, you know, we would get our butts kicked if we played Kenya and Luke. So we'll just let them reign as King.
0: Now I talk about them cause I'm going to kind of bring you back to your time at EIU. And I kind of always try to, the people that, that do these, I, I, it ends up putting them on the spot and I, and I, I know it does, but at the same time, I know they have one in their mind. It's kind of a memory or, or a favorite maybe game that from when you, you were at, at Eastern and the one, like when you get together with former teammates, that that's the one that comes to to mind that you talk about. Um,
1: well, there's two games that come to my mind. Uh, one is, you know, a good, a good memory, I think is one is when we played Moorhead at home and we were on ESPN and, uh, I, uh, there was a technical foul called right at the end of the game. And I shot two free, we were down one and I should, Shot two free throws and made them to to win the game um, that 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 was a good memory the The crowd kind of rushed the floor and you know tackled me a little bit. That was fun and and that was a really fun year. We finished third in the league and went on a nine game winning streak at the end of the year and I think at the time we were the had the the biggest win streak in the country when we finished the season at nine games uh, so that that was a good uh memory. A game that I think about when I think about EIU is playing in that the conference tournament that year where down two with the clock running down and James Hollowell got a rebound, outlet it to me, and I'm on the left side of the court and I kind of cross the court and I come up the floor and I have a transition pull up three in that right wing and I didn't take it. And uh, Tony Easley uh, from, from Murray State, comes out to guard me and I kind of back out and they want to take him one-on-one and I drove and I went up for a layup and I, I missed the layup and I wish so badly I would have pulled up that three because I feel like I mean that was my bread and butter in college was a three-point shot and I was like I would have hit that three we would have gone up one we would have beat them and then we would have beat Moorhead State in the championship because I feel like that year we had Moorhead State's number and so that's that's those are the two games that I think about the most when I think about EIU.
0: Now, you talk a little bit about your game there, and you're you're still in the career top 10 in terms of career threes, made it Eastern, a 1,000-point score in your career. You just talked about that was kind of what you felt was your bread and butter as a college player. Did that then translate? Was that kind of what your game was when you were in Europe, or did you end up finding a different role when you played over there?
1: Yeah, I was, a, I was, just, I, I was still a good three-point shooter. Um, there there's many seasons where I was above 45%. Um, but I became a pick and roll player. I mean, pick and roll, you have to be able to play the pick and roll in Europe. Um, so I was a pick and roll mid range shooter was my and butter because you got, you get these bigs that play off, you know, cause they're, you can just blow right by them. So they would play off, but I would have a guy right on my back. That was guarding me. So I, I didn't always feel like I had the space for a three point shot because they were right on my hip, but I could keep them on my back and I would kind of do a slow dribble and I would just pull up for a mid-range shot. And that I never missed. I never missed them in the mid-range. So that became uh, you know, kind of my st- staple, I think. And and I led I led several leagues in scoring because of because of that that shot. So uh one one two MVPs. And I think that that was my shot. That was my go-to.
0: Now you're we're fortunate enough to play in several different places. You've talked about them on here: Cyprus, Romania, Bulgaria, um, Sweden as well, Germany. When you're there, I know you guys are always busy, but do you have the opportunity? And maybe now you're a little bit older. You look back, and maybe it's a, a missed opportunity, or maybe you did take advantage of it to realize that this is an opportunity for me to kind of also see the world, or were you did you get? Do you get so focused on basketball that the only thing you see is the bus, the gym, the hotel? I, and and I say that because people get excited when they see you work in NCAA athletics and they're like, "Oh, you get to go here." And I'm like, "We go to the hotel, we go to the bus, we go to the gym, we go back to the hotel, we go home. We don't we right. don't see Philadelphia, New York, Chicago. We just see right. the gym." So, I, were you able to take advantage of those types of things when you were in Europe?
1: well during the season it's definitely that bus airplane airport you know hotel gym it's it's only that you don't you don't get to sightsee when you're traveling but my wife and I we always made sure that we stayed after a a month or so and uh with sightsee and because also like so many countries a lot of their our rules are still uh based off their catholic histories or, or or orthodox christian history so sunday everything's closed i mean you can't go anywhere on sunday so like we get sunday off we well, can't go do anything you know so we'd walk around the city uh or something in europe they their cities are even built a little different they have like these city centers and you can walk all all over the city it's not like roads are small and narrow and so everything can be within walking distance. So we would walk, we learned our cities in and out from just walking all over the place and people are, are outside a lot more in Europe. And so uh, we would, you know, we seed a lot, um, but it was always at the end of the season. And, uh, but we definitely knew that these were unique opportunities and we didn't want to let it slip through our fingers. But a lot of guys didn't so I see. I would talk all the time with teammates and I'd be like uh, I'd be like, oh, you know, they got this castle here or you know, something happened in history there where a lot of guys never had any interest in that. And and I always thought it was interesting when we'd go out to eat, they'd order just food that you could get in America. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. we're in stinking, you know here or there, why, why don't you try, tr- you know, the traditional food or whatever, you know, but some people, they're just a little nervous and not as open-minded about experiences, but my wife and I, we tried everything.
0: Very good. Well, Tyler, I appreciate you joining. We're going to wrap up here. I just got we'll have one final kind of question for you. You said you were, you and your wife able to enjoy a lot of different places in Europe. Is Was there a a favorite that you guys ended up having that maybe you went back to a couple different times during your your time there?
1: Oh, well, I think when we think about our favorite places, it's when we had family come over and visit us. Uh, I lived in a a city called Kabbalah uh, when I lived in Greece. And it was right by Thessaloniki and uh, ancient Philippi up in the northern part of Greece. And Greece is so beautiful, so beautiful, and their history there is unbelievable, so much biblical history and and such, and so we really enjoyed when family came out, we would look all over, but uh, Germany was also awesome, Uh, I'm a history buff, so all the World War II stuff, and we were about an hour and a half from Munich, so we lived in a little city called Tübingen, and it just looked like a, a Disney village. Or it wasn't a village, it was a city. It, it just looked like a Disney uh, city, um, just flowers and rivers going through. It was something off a postcard. And we loved being in Germany and we had so many guests that year. And so, uh, you know, probably those those two places. And I mean, Italy was unreal. Udine Italy was unreal and so many places, but uh, just so, so many good memories really.
0: Well, good. I'm glad that those all worked out for you, Tyler. I'm especially glad that you the the basketball worked out and you were able to continue and have a successful professional career, which sounds like has opened your eyes to a lot of other things for a, a very successful life still ahead of you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm uh, I'm really happy to be here talking with you, and um, I'm I'm glad you guys haven't forgot about me. <laughs> no. And uh, I just Eastern Illinois has a special place in my heart, and I'm just. I'm just thankful to be back and talk with you, Rich.
0: All right, appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Tyler.
1: Yeah, thank you.